Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that brings you the most interesting content in InfoSec, technology, and humans. The idea is to curate around three to five hours of weekly reading into a 15 to 30 minute summary. The goal is to have you caught up on current events, tell you about the best content from around the web, and hopefully give you something to think about as well. You can get the companion newsletter with all the show notes and links at danielmesor.com newsletter. All right, welcome to episode 69. Going to start off with the information security news and with a story about a massive number of CIA files being leaked by WikiLeaks, now being called the Vault 7 release. Core of the content was information on various techniques the CIA could use to gain access to target systems like Android, iOS, consumer routers, consumer smart TVs, that kind of thing. The leak has spawned massive discussion, as you might expect, around how new or old the exploits were, who the likely source of the leak was, whether Russia was involved, etc. The biggest misconception came out of the whole thing was that they had hacked Signal and other secure messengers. They absolutely did not do this. What they hacked was Android. And if you have access to the OS, you can get access to the data before it goes to the secure messenger. So you don't need to hack Signal or whatever app. My personal opinion on the whole thing is that this is most likely a continuation of what Russia's been doing over the last several months against the U.S. And they're basically doing this to make Trump look better by making the intelligence agencies look worse and thus to raise Russia in the eyes of most Russian espionage and Russian cybercrime appear to be more linked than people thought. Evgeny Bogachev is a known cybercrime player out of Russia. He's also been implicated in a lot of election-related activity from last year. And he also lives quite comfortably within Russia. He's got yachts and really nice place. Uh, kind of being treated like a prized asset as opposed to an unwanted criminal. And uh, some really good analysis here at the link from New York Times. Verifone, the largest maker of credit card terminals used in the United States, is investigating a breach of its internal networks that might have impacted numerous companies running its POS solutions. Verifone is saying it was just an internal network breach and that it didn't affect their payment system products. This kind of reminds me of the previous story, actually, about the OS. Like, if your whole internal network is compromised, can you really trust other things that are touching it and related to it? I, I don't think so. Brian Krebs reported that Dahua, the largest IoT manufacturers of things like security cameras and DVRs, just patched a major hole that allowed attackers to completely bypass authentication in some significant percentage of their devices. You basically send a request for the password list for any device. You get back the list of users and a bunch of hashes, and you can basically use those hashes to log into the device and, and get full access. A House committee has proposed a law requiring employees to undergo genetic testing as part of the workplace wellness programs. 
This will allow penalties of up to 30% of the cost of the insurance program if they don't provide the data. A major vulnerability was found in Apache Struts 2 web application framework last week, and scans were very active looking for vulnerable targets. That traffic has since died off. The flaw was in the Jakarta multi-part parser upload function, and it let an attacker send an a malicious content type value and execute arbitrary system commands. Definitely want to make sure you're patched on this one if you have any Apache struts too in the environment. WordPress issued a new release 4.73 to address six different vulnerabilities, including some cross site scripting, a URL validation issue, file deletion, and a CSERF problem. Patch early and patch often if you have WordPress or any PHP app, really. Consumer Reports is adding cybersecurity to their list of rating criteria. This is really welcome, uh, not just because they're doing it, but hopefully it'll encourage others to do it as well. The layout for the requirements look pretty decent, and I've got a link to that right here in the newsletter. An Intel security report says 93% of companies have security strategies, but only 49% are fully implementing them. I think 49% is actually high. Either they didn't respond truthfully or their strategies are like really weak. If half the companies that I went to had security strategy and were fully implementing them, I would be overjoyed, and I, I don't think that's true. I would actually put the number closer to like 5%. Cornell did some interesting research on mobile MAC address randomization. They claim they could defeat randomization on Android with 95% accuracy using one technique and all main platforms leveraging a previous vulnerability. So basically on Android, they have a technique that they can get to like 95 or 96% accuracy, but they can actually defeat the randomization on all platforms using some bug that, uh, that is still available. CA has bought Veracode for 614 million. So let me get this right. Fortify is being sold to Microfocus. White Hat is basically dead because of all their talent left. And now Veracode has been sold to CA, which means we probably won't hear much from them anymore. So who's left? In the AppSec sort of tool space, I feel like Checkmarks has to be absolutely loving this. They're probably just going to clean up because of this. And also because they have a tool that doesn't require compilation. InfoSec sales engineers evidently make between 180K and 220K, making them much higher paid than security engineers and cloud security engineers. It's evidently the need for a combination of skill sets, in my opinion, technical skills, soft skills, and although they didn't mention it, the willingness to travel and interact with customers constantly. Technology news. 
IBM researchers have found a way to store data on a single atom. IBM has had IBM has over 600 employees working on the possibility of replacing bloated and unwieldy supply chain documentation with blockchain technology. And Walmart and Maersk are among the companies that are interested. Twitch, an Amazon company, has started rolling out a Twitter-like competitor called Pulse. It's not quite a Twitter clone because it's not really meant to just magnify or be a platform for the internet. It's, it's really just meant to magnify Twitch content. So it ends up looking like a combination of like push-based RSS, a sharing platform for Twitch media, and a commenting system. Still will be interesting to see uh, how it does and how much crossover starts happen between it and Twitter-like features. Head of the largest advertising firm says Amazon is a major threat to them. I think it's very smart for people to realize Amazon is a threat wherever they go. It's already the Google for products and Amazon is just scary basically with anything they touch. Google has purchased Kaggle, a company that hosts data science and machine learning competitions. That's a good match. AT&T and T-Mobile are in the middle of a massive rate plan battle that is making it really nice for customers. They're especially focused on unlimited data plans. T-Mobile basically started this battle. So if you're a customer of either of these companies, and especially if you use your plan a lot for tethering and you know data-heavy usage, consider going in to either T-Mobile or AT&T and see if you can upgrade to a better, cheaper plan. Human news. There's a bunch of new research on the benefits of fasting to the human body. The study that I linked to here talks about alternate day calorie restriction. We eat far fewer calories one day and then far more the next day. So it still averages out to the same amount of calories, whatever that is, but you do way less one and then way more the next. It's early on with this kind of research, but this appears to be some of the most promising stuff on a weight loss and immune system health in a long time. Evidently, fasting just rejuvenates you in in lots of different ways. The, the idea, the theory behind it, is basically that when you are hungry, your body basically says, okay, something is going on here. We need to perform so that we can survive and reproduce. And it basically puts you into like combat mode. So it makes you more effective. It makes you more um, just better at, at what you do normally. So um, that, that that's kind of the pitch for it. And uh, a lot of people are saying it's it's true. Um, I, I'm a little skeptical just because it seems kind of extreme to starve the body in any sort of way. But I also do see the point of if you're just always full and you're never hungry, then it almost communicates to your body that you're basically living a life of luxury and, and you don't really need to try that hard or do anything. 
And that does seem like it could be bad. So then the research is definitely worth uh, tracking. Children prefer reading books on paper rather than screens. Um, I do as well. However, the convenience is just too good on a Kindle device. What I'm really looking forward to is really high quality e-ink or, um, I don't know, something paper-like. Um, some of the Kindle devices almost get us there, right? But something, something along those lines where it's paper-like, but just really crisp, clear text. I'm curious to know if it's because it's a device or they like the form factor of the book or if it's really the text that they like more. But um, yeah, I, I really look forward to more e-ink type things and whatever the next version of that looks like. Probably foldable OLED or whatever. Deep learning is helping hearing aid users pick out voices in crowded rooms. Seems like a great example of deep learning and machine learning. And I got a link here for why facts don't change our minds. Ideas. The bifurcation of America. The forced class separation into alphas and betas. This is basically a, a piece about social dynamics and how the future is increasingly separating us into two different classes and that you want to know what you need to do to get into the alpha class and not be part of the beta class. It's a, it's a long uh, concept. I mean, it's a short read, but I, I don't want to go into it here. It's kind of involved. Definitely check out the link. Let me know what you think. It's, it's a bit controversial, but I think you'll enjoy it. First and second order chaos. This is a really cool concept. I heard about reading the Sapiens book. Basically, there's two types of chaos. First order chaos is something like weather, where it's extremely complex and it's absolutely chaotic, but it's possible to make predictions and the phenomena itself does not adjust to your predictions. So it's still possible for that prediction to be true. So basically weather is the greatest, best example of this because it's extremely complex, but we can predict things, you know, like seven or 10 days out. I'm not sure what the, what our limit is right now, but it's like a week away. We could predict things and it generally kind of happens in that way. That's because the weather does not know what the prediction was and it doesn't change. So that's first order chaos. Second order chaos is you make some sort of prediction, which is useful and, you know, is, was going to work and was going to be use, uh, effective in some way. But the event or the phenomenon learns about the prediction, uh, the prediction, and then it changes. So a good example of this is stock prices and politics. If you know for sure that gold is going to shoot up tomorrow and you start buying while the price is low, 
Well, that's going to change the price, right? And it's also going to change the price tomorrow. Uh, same with politics and polls and who's going to win this or what's going to happen here, which is going to cause some major change in history. So it's uh, it's really interesting to understand the difference between the two because it affects how useful predictions can be. A response to Benedict Evans on limitations of voice interfaces. So this one is about, well, computer voice interfaces. Uh, Benedict Evans is an analyst that I really like over at A16Z. And he's basically saying that voice is not going to really be too big of a thing because it's too hard to program the various requirements into systems. And the more that you, the more that you program different commands into a system, the harder it is to remember what commands you can do. And I, I think it's a fundamentally flawed argument. And this is a breakdown of why. Um, it's a very short post. And ultimately, it comes down to this. There's an n number of required human interactions that we want to have with our computers during the day. So one of them are basically that, that the number of the, this number N is low. I, I would say it's hundreds or a few thousand. <clears throat> and obviously they'll change over time or whatever. They'll get updated. But there's a minimum level of confidence you need to have in your system in order to convert over to making it your default system. Like you just naturally want to use this system um, instead of picking up the phone. So his argument is, if you can't remember the commands, you won't just speak to your computer while you're at home. Um, and I'm saying, once you hit a certain number of commands, you will reach that confidence level where you know it will probably work good enough. And Alexa is a good example who I keep talking to and trying to wake up. She's not listening. Um, she's a good example because the few things that she can do, she really does well. And that is the dynamic that just needs to be extended. And that's exactly what people are working on. They're working on extending those really good results out to a certain level, a certain number of commands. Once we reach that, and I put in the, in the piece that basically, you know, once you hit like a 90% threshold of confidence, then it turns into your default for using systems at home. And instead of going for your phone, you just naturally speak to your system. And that is what needs to happen. You basically need a certain number N of commands that are available. Then you stop remembering commands, right? You stop um, having to memorize all the different things you can do because you just assume that whatever you're gonna say will actually work. And that's what, um, that's what that piece is about. Next one, voice interfaces are a combination of voice recognition and NLP. This is an interesting concept. Basically that voice interfaces themselves are two separate things. One is how 
well the computer understands the actual words that you said. And this is really easy to mess up. I didn't understand the question, Andrea. There she is again. Um, so you can actually say, you know, I want to go to the store or do something or whatever. And when you see it print out what it thought you said, it's just wrong. So that's a voice recognition problem. The NLP problem is figuring out what you meant and what you wanted to do from those words. And it's really easy to mess that up as well. So it's really easy to mess up each of these. And having a good voice interface uh, requires that you do both well. So the reason they keep getting better now, we're seeing so much progress, is both of them are improving. And they've hit some minimum thresholds that are allowing it to be quite functional. But I think it's useful to understand these two things as separate. All right, discovery. Why the future doesn't need us. This is one of the first essays I ever read on the topic of future technologies and how they will affect humanity. It's from like 2000. And it's written by Bill Joy, who actually wrote VI, so basically a superhero. And uh, it's highly recommended. Auth Matrix, a burp extension that provides a simple way to test authorization in web applications and services. How to permanently update burps attack strings by editing the jar file. An interesting little visualization of different InfoSec career jump points. Mob SF or MobSF, a mobile security testing framework. Really useful. You could just point it at an IPA file or APK and it goes and does a whole bunch of static analysis. It's really, really strong little project, free. Gartner's AppSec Magic Quadrant Analysis. Bloodhound uses graph theory to reveal hidden and often unintended relationships within an Active Directory environment. Fascinating relationship analysis around Trump, his associates, and Russia. Some fantastic analysis on by Robert Graham on the CIA leak. This is a really good piece. A quiz to learn about your personal circadian rhythm. An in-depth study of over 10 years of Java exploitation. NAND has released a fascinating study on Ode exploits and how much harm there is from various entities sitting on Vulns versus releasing them to the public. Bash Bunny, Hack5's latest pen test tool. It emulates trusted USB interfaces like internet, serial, flash storage, keyboards, etc. And as a result, it receives tons of sensitive data from the system being sent to those spoofed interfaces. Super cool project. How online gamers use malware to cheat. This is a very interesting project for me uh, since I'm currently working on a game security project. System design primer. Learn how to design large scale systems or prep for a system design interview. 
notes this week. I'll be presenting at HUSETCon with my buddy Jason Haddix on the 23rd of the month. It's in Houston. The presentation is on the game security framework. We're going to be talking all about the project structure, the data we have so far, and where we're taking the project. Getting closer on my OSINT primer, I've got some on-site customer work this week, but uh, hoping to still finish it within a week or so. Almost done with Sapiens, and I'm moving on to Homo Do uh, by the same author. By the way, it's do as in two, not, not as in like, I was thinking God for some reason, like anyway. Um, yeah, it's, it's two as in like next version of humans, which makes a lot more sense. Uh, if you think about the previous book, Sapiens and all the talk about the future, really looking forward to reading that. I finally removed the single ad I had on my website and moved to a sponsorship model. Site is currently sponsored by NetSparker, a strong web app scanner I've used off and on for years. It's nice to not have an ad network, which means JavaScript running on the site anymore. Not that I don't have other JavaScript, but I don't know, JavaScript based ads, it's just super annoying. Uh, even the one I had wasn't bad. It was just a single ad and it was pretty contextual. It was actually useful links, but now it's just text and a link, which is super clean. I, I just like it better. Um, yeah, so there's that. Recommendations. Remember to focus on your eulogy attributes and not just your resume attributes. If you were to die tomorrow and your eulogy were next week, what would people say about you? Are there things you would want them to say? Take the actions that would make them say those things. Aphorism for this week is by Christopher Hitchens. It is extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And I'll see you next week. All right. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget that you can get the show notes for this episode, including the links to everything mentioned in the companion newsletter at danielmiesler.com slash newsletter. And if you like the show, please share it with a friend or on social media. I'll see you next time.